1: David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Thanks for joining us. And uh, before we get into the, today's program, and we'll talk a little bit about apologetics today and giving you uh, just some equipping you with some ways to respond to some of the charges we get as Christians in this culture today that continues to just to be so anti Christian. But um, let's go to God. Um, Father, we need your help today and every day. And uh, we need to be better equipped as believers to not only speak the truth in love, but to be able to respond without getting defensive to some of the charges and accusations that come against us from those um, who are godless, those who maybe are hurt themselves and they lash out at us. Um, so many things we need to be prepared for, Lord. So we ask that you would help us so that we can be ready for those encounters in the public square, maybe at our jobs, and maybe even in our own family, among family members. Um, We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are on the throne and sovereign. We thank you that you are not surprised by what's happening in our world and in our country and in our culture. And uh, God, um, even when it comes to persecution, Lord, give us a better understanding of what that means. And um, just thank you for all the scriptures in your word that show us that uh, this life is not to be comfortable and uh, we are to be ready for those attacks that come against us. So we thank you for this opportunity to talk about it today and we ask your blessings on this hour. We give you all the glory and praise you and ask that the name of Jesus would be exalted. Amen. Well, as our culture heads further away from God, uh, it makes sense that more people are also rejecting truth. Well, this often leads to attacks on those of us who believe in and who represent the God of truth. So the question to ask, one of the many questions, are Christians equipped to properly respond to the false accusations that come against us, especially charges of hate or intolerance? Is your family prepared to deal with these daily battles? So it's more important than ever to, uh, equip ourselves and to be educated and emboldened with the truth of scripture as well as some of the excellent logical arguments to defend the faith. Well, today's guest, we're welcome, we're, we're actually blessed to have back Juan Valdez. He's an author, pastor, and apologist, and he's with Reasons for Hope. Juan, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, brother.
2: Thank you, brother. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, we're blessed that you, again, have taken the time with us. This is your second time on with us. We talked about critical thinking last time. Um, we did talk a little bit about your book, and I want you to maybe share a little bit more about that, and we'll put that in the post, although we are going to get into a different topic. Would you share, first of all, I know you've, you've done a lot of traveling and ministering, so would you share recently what you've been doing in the last couple months since we talked and also a little bit about where people can get your book?
2: Yeah, uh, we've been uh, traveling pretty heavily. Uh, we tried to slow down in December a little bit to spend time with the family, but, uh, <laughs> it's been hectic. We got, just got back from California. We've been filming, uh, events for a an awesome product we're going to be launching in this in uh, February called Debunk TV, uh, where we're going to be, you know, taking our debunked episodes, which are very popular, uh, our debunked uh, uh, videos and breaking them down, opening them up and, uh, discussing deeper, diving deeper into the topic. Hmm. So we, we just got back from a week of filming in California, uh, heading to, heading this week, at the end of the week, I head out to, to Columbia for uh, the first conference, Apologetics Conference of the Year. So we are, we're, we're staying busy, we really are.
1: Debunked TV. Now I'm sure, are you and Carl working on that? And are these videos that will be available on, on your YouTube eventually?
2: Uh, yes, we we debunked. Uh, we, we, our debunked videos have been around for for quite some time now. Uh, we've been heavily working on building the debunked uh, videos. So those we have now, I believe, fourteen videos. Uh, we're also coming out with these videos in Spanish. They're short, three to five minute, very high impact videos answering some of the toughest questions. Uh, they're available at our at our on our YouTube channel, Reasons for Hope. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're gonna, we're preparing half hour TV programs that take each of these videos and just dive deeper, expand them and take them from three to five minutes to thirty, thirty five minutes. Uh and with, with with great insight, it's uh Bob Coombs and, and Carl Kirby together doing this and I pop in with some information. Uh we're really excited about it.
1: And uh they can be accessed right now at the Reasons for Hope YouTube. Uh if you would like yes. to go there and, and check out some of these. But, one, um, we appreciate all, all the work that you do, the travel that you do, and you're um, unique in the sense that you have uh, the ability to communicate with the Hispanic audience. And I know down in uh, – you're in the Miami area, correct?
2: I am. I live in Miami, Florida. This is a melting pot here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or a salad bowl, depending on what, yeah. what analogy you want to use.
1: <laughs> I like sal- a
2: little bit of everything. Yeah,
1: I like salad bowl. That's a good one. Um, but uh, you, you minister to a, a Hispanic congregation, right?
2: I do. Our, our congregation uh, was founded 56 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's one of the first Spanish-speaking churches in Miami. But uh, interestingly, over the last maybe seven or eight years, we've been transitioning to a bilingual church. Uh, because many of our Spanish-speaking or, or Spanish-descended kids, Rodriguez's and Garcia's and Perez's, don't speak too much Spanish because they're second- and third-generation Americans.
1: Wow. So uh, what a blessing to be able to have you there to minister. Um, you've got a book, uh, How to Think, And we touched on it last time we had you on a crash course in critical thinking. Can you give us the uh, overall synopsis of it and then where people can get a copy of that before we get into our topic today?
2: Yes, of course. Uh, How to Think is a book that I wrote based on a curriculum that I taught for about 10 or 11 years at a Christian high school. It's meant for for high school kids and older. uh, And what it does is it teaches kids how to engage with our culture, with the ideas, that we come up with, how to think critically, how to find the fallacies, how to evaluate arguments, not only to be able to detect when something is, 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 not, uh, is not clear thinking, but also to be able to present arguments for the truth in a very clear and rational way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's an introduction to logic, uh, fallacies, uh, and it's meant to be a textbook. It's not a devotional book. It's a book that requires you to work through it. But uh, it's it's very, very effective because I've used that, that material for many years and, and gotten great feedback from the kids and, and polished it and tweaked it and fine-tuned it. And then someone suggested, why don't you put that in a book so other schools can use it? Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing.
1: Excellent, excellent.
2: It, it, it's available at our at our website, reasonsforhope.org, r4h.org, or on Amazon. I mean, how to think. It's also available in Spanish.
1: Oh, that's great! That's great. And I love the fact that uh, there is a foreword by Alex McFarland. I really appreciate his ministries out of North Carolina. How did you connect with Alex?
2: Alex is a dear friend. I've known Alex for many years. Mm, awesome. Uh, and I had to, I, I would have Alex come to the school where I was the uh, chaplain and speak to the kids, and so that's how we first met. And um, then I went to the seminary where he was the president of the seminary. That's where I got my doctorate degree and. Uh, we've we've had a, a, a pretty long relationship, and just uh, we do events together every once in a while too. What a, a, a treat for me! He's a great apologist.
1: Yes, what a blessing. Well, uh, we were with Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope, and now Juan, let's get into what we wanted to talk about today. Since one of the more popular, I guess I I don't want to call it a movement, but I, the transgender cult seems to be a movement, and. You can call it whatever you want, but it's definitely influencing a lot of people uh, away from the truth, away from God, the God of creation. And when Christians quote scripture or Christians even simply disagree, we are often called hateful or intolerant. Well, you have a presentation, and we're going to dive into that. Well, thank you for being willing to do this. Dealing with intolerance, it's called Engaging the Charge of. Of tolerance, so let's just uh, have you just share how we can be better at responding to this.
2: Well, I I think when we tackle these type of questions, it really requires sensitivity. It requires tact uh, because we live in a world of of diverse ideas, and that's that's just a fact. We live in a world of diversity. We have different cultures, we have different backgrounds, we have different political affiliations, we practice different religions in this world. But at the end of the day, we're all human. And at the end of the day, we all have to respond to our Creator.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so, uh, many times we we we're not tactful, we're not sensitive to these issues, and so uh, we get into great arguments that really do not attract anybody to the light of the gospel. Uh, the, the, when we engage with somebody, our whole objective should be to lead them to Christ, to give them an opportunity to see the truth. Uh, and so, uh, the first the first uh, point I like to make when we deal with these issues. Any of these controversial issues, whether it's same sex marriage or uh, gender identity or uh, the pro life issues or anything is that uh, we we have to be civil in our discourse uh, we cannot resort to name calling and mocking and demonizing and you know because truthfully that doesn't attract anyone to the gospel of jesus christ uh, i I like to say that you know in a world of, of civility you don't mock counter perspectives what you do is you dialogue with a counter perspective and, and try to point out where uh, the thinking is, is 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 flawed where the thinking has, mm-hmm. has gone has gone off off uh, off the off on a tangent and show them the truth we have the truth mm-hmm. it's just the way we present it we have to be careful and sometimes uh, the accusation that we are being intolerant is that is accurate because sometimes we don't we don't want to listen to anybody. We don't want to talk to them. All we want to do is tell them how wrong they are and where they're going to end up if they don't change their way of thinking.
1: Can we see, uh, Juan, I'd like to pause right there. I think that's such an important point. And oftentimes I think, and I like your first point, by the way, that responding to this requires sensitivity and tact. But I think oftentimes it's it's those of us who maybe in the past, some of us still are, but maybe in the past who were not equipped to respond Knowing how to defend our own worldview, our Christian worldview. In other words, why we believe what we believe. So our natural tendency would be to mock their ridiculous claims that, you know, they're one of, I don't know, 70 genders or whatever it might be. And particularly, uh, you know, we're getting, responding to the attack of intolerance. But I think that's such a good point. So let's not resort to mocking what others believe because that's not going to share the love of Christ with them.
2: And that's exactly right. Uh, in the Christian faith, uh, there's an egalitarianism of people, but there's an elitism of ideas, and that's what we need to keep separate in our mind. Mm. People are equal, but ideas are not.
1: Mm, yes. Let the
2: ideas pit, be pit against each other, uh, but let's not rob people of the dignity they deserve as human beings. Excellent. And so if, if, if we're able to keep that balance, I think we're able to be far more effective. Uh, do we agree with what, A lot of these positions point, absolutely not. Uh, But how can we communicate that? You you have to understand that behind the accusation, when somebody accuses you of being intolerant, that's coming from emotion. That's coming from hurt. Mm -hmm. that's That's a person in front of you that either is struggling with these issues or knows and loves dearly somebody who is. And so they perceive that what we attempt to do in in, in pointing out that maybe there's a different way of, of seeing things, they see that as an attack on themselves or a loved one. And when somebody feels attacked, what do they do? They attack back. They become very defensive. Mm-hmm. Uh And so uh, it is not intolerant to engage with ideas at all. It's not. It's not intolerant to say that, an idea is, 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 is not logical, it's fa- it's a fallacy, or that it's not true. It's not intolerant at all. It, no. It's simply an engagement of uh, engaging with an idea. The ideas can be evaluated and can be judged whether they're true or not. But behind the, the charge is really a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to be sensitive to it. Again, a lot of people are hurting. Yes, People that struggle with, with identity issues are real people with real... Mm problems that really struggle and suffer. The, the suicide rate among people that struggle with, with identity issues is, is much higher than the suicide rate of, of, of people who don't. Uh, there, there's, there's a whole darkness to being uh, enslaved or trapped in, in these, in these uh, mentalities and ideas and, and strongholds. Uh, and so, again, we need to be sensitive and compassionate to the person we're talking to. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with pointing out inconsistencies, not at all. And that's got to be our approach, but with a lot of love, with a lot of tact. Yes.
1: yes. Can we say right uh, toward the beginning of this year, we're a little bit into it now, the, the, the topic that um, so many people maybe have been duped by the false idea that disagreement is hate. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We're just talking about ideas. We're not attacking anyone personally. We're saying th- what their worldview, this is a wrong worldview. Let's talk about the ideas or how they reached that conclusion. So I think it needs to be clearly said and emphasized so often today, uh, Juan, that disagreement is not hate.
2: It's not. It's not at all. And, but then, but it doesn't help when, when with a lot of times, on our perspective, or for uh, pretending to represent us, we have hateful groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And guess what? Those are the ones that get the YouTube views, and yes. those are the ones that get get to the news. Uh, and so everybody starts to think that we're hateful, mm-hmm. that we're that we're going to do the same thing, that we're going to show up at uh, at funerals with signs saying that God hates this and God hates that, and that's not Christianity. Uh, and, we, and Christians shouldn't be judged based on the misrepresentation of our view, uh, and so we hurt ourselves when we do that. But but we do have to agree with the fact that you know all views are not equal, they're not, and they should not be considered equal. Uh, truth definitely trumps uh, the false ideas any day of the week. Uh, but but how the, the key is on how how mm-hmm. do we engage? Yes.
1: Um, well, what would be the next point? I think, I'm sure you have some scriptures that you have to back up, um, you know, how we can respond to uh, some, these charges of hate. And, and obviously, um, most people, I would say 99 out of 100, these people that I know, um, okay, maybe 95 out of 100 are not hateful at all. They're not disrespectful at all. They're just disagreeing and they want to have that debate. They just want to be able to reason. And I know you need scripture uh, to be able to reason. That's our foundation of truth. But when it's the ideas are, are starting out so far out in the left field, I think we need something to kind of bring us closer to what we can um, offer. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> I think I think we take what scripture says. We take Jesus. We take Paul. We take Peter, and 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 and, and pick up what's what's the. ethos. What's the way we engage with these people effectively? How did Jesus do it? Okay, you know, when Jesus engaged with people, he, some people got really angry. They would pick up rocks, and they wouldn't want to stone him. Mm -hmm. So what what that tells you right there is that Jesus was not hateful. Jesus was an incredibly compassionate person who was here to die for us. That's how much he loved humanity. He loved every person he engaged with. Mm -hmm. But it, some people just—they're not going to take it. They're, they, they, some people just will not respond well to any opposition to their ideas. But Jesus says we, that doesn't—that doesn't mean that we, we light—we hide the light under the table. We put it on a stand. We let our light shine before men. And so we we engage with people with honesty, with compassion, with truth, with a lot of love, and understand that they're not everyone is going to accept our perspective of what we have to say. That's why Paul, Paul's language is a little more aggressive. Paul talks about a fight and and a war. Paul says that the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. He says that, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Mm. Uh, and, and, And he goes on to say that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and that we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so when Paul says that to the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, listen, we have to engage. We have to demolish arguments. I love to point out that he's not demolishing people.
1: Yes. He's demolishing
2: arguments. And, and, and we have to engage with these ideas because if we don't engage with them, uh, they pass as being true. And we have to tell the world, this is not true. This is not the way it works. Hmm. Then you add Peter to the formula. And what did Peter add to the whole concept? Peter tells us that when we engage with people, when we are prepared to give them an answer – the hope that is within us, how do we do it? With meekness and fear, with gentleness and respect. And I find it funny that it's Peter that says that. This is the guy that pulled the machete <laughs> the guy tried to cut the guy's head off.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's and then good he turns point. around and
2: tells us we have to be gentle and respectful.
1: <laughs> now, somebody would call Peter a hypocrite. How how would we respond to that?
2: Well, there was a Peter before and a Peter after. Yes. You know, and Peter, the Peter we read in, in, in his letters is not the same Peter that... Uh, that we first met in the Gospels. Uh, God has done a work in him, and that's, that's what God does in all of us. Uh, he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it.
1: Amen. And so
2: we, we grow, we mature, we learn. Peter learned the hard way hmm. that gentleness and respect is far more effective in our way of communicating. But we do not cease to engage. Amen. We must engage against all hostility against God, against the truth, mm-hmm. we must engage, because we know who's behind the hostility. The angry person in front of you is not behind it. You know, Paul was very clear to the Ephesians, our battle is against, you know, demonic influence mm-hmm. and, and the yes. dark side of this world, and so we we have to fight it.
1: Amen. We're not calling people Satan. We're, we're, we're saying people are influenced by the devil. And I just want, before we take a break, with uh, we're here with Juan Valdez, Reasons for Hope, um, and... I want to share the verse you just referenced, and that is uh, 2 Corinthians 10, um, verse 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Fortresses, good point, Juan, that we do not destroy people, we destroy arguments. Because verse 5 says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we come back, responding to the charge of intolerance on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash
0: podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: We are on with Juan Valdez of Reasons For Hope and talking about how Christians can respond to charges or accusations of hate, or particularly this charge of intolerance, we've heard that through the many years—maybe not quite a decade, I think—maybe it has been that long that we started to being att- being attacked with the charge of "you're intolerant and you're hateful" because. You believe the Bible, or because you say we're wrong, or because you quote scripture, you think Jesus is the only way, or because you think that God couldn't make me um, the opposite gender, or whatever that might be. But Juan, you said that here, a quote that we were just talking about, all views have equal merit, and people that say they uh, they want us to be tolerant, we need to tolerate what they believe, but also that we must take it to the next step and celebrate what is being you know, thrown out there. So how would you respond to that?
2: Well, I, I think the definition of tolerance has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what we understand to be tolerance, which is uh, biblical, it's a biblical concept, is that we must learn to love our neighbors in spite of disagreements. We must learn to live with people that we don't agree with. Everyone is entitled to have an opinion, Uh, And we are no one to force anyone to think in any particular way. And that's what tolerance means. Uh, But it's been redefined. It's been redefined that not only am I to put up with the idea that we disagree, but no, I have to condone, approve, applaud, celebrate your views, even if they're different than mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not tolerance. That's insanity. Uh, the, uh, the, The definition itself of tolerance means that you have to put up with something even if you don't agree with it. But if you're supposed to agree with everybody about everything, then, then how is that tolerance? That's not tolerance or intolerance. That's just insanity. Uh, that's not the world we live in. Uh, and so that redefinition, though, is what's very dangerous, As that's what's used uh, to pass new laws. That's what's used to uh, form our curriculums in our public schools. It's the idea that all views have equal merit. No view should be considered better than another. All views are equal. Uh, And so that's what is the foundation of of all that's being taught today. That's what's led to so much confusion because, of course, it's going to lead to confusion. All the the views are not equal. Some are better than others. There's bad ideas and good ideas. There's truth. And then there's things that are not true. Uh, And and so how how do we throw everything together in one pot and say it's all good? Hmm. It doesn't work that way.
1: I, I love that you, uh, explained that and, uh, pointed out that tolerance, the idea of, of tolerance, maybe not necessarily the Webster's dictionary definition, but the idea has been redefined and they want us to, re- really, I think it comes down to, um, well, they want to continue in their rebellion against God and some of them are, are actually, uh, being used, uh, by the enemy. Some of them actually are just deceivers themselves, but this leads to, this, this idea, Juan, naturally, I think, or logically leads to if all ideas are equal or all ideas should be accepted or respected, then all religions are equal, meaning Jesus is not the only way. There are many paths. So doesn't that naturally lead to this idea when it comes to talk about salvation or faith?
2: It does. It does. it is a great example of that in, 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 in history not too, not too long ago. If you guys remember, there was a there was a big scandal with Tiger Woods and in his life, which we won't get into. But uh, on, on a TV program, Britt Hume made a comment about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods had said that he he's a Buddhist and he's trying to find peace and he's trying to figure out how to get his life back together. Uh, and Britt Hume gave him some advice. And, and 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 Brit Hume said, you know, I believe that uh, what what you you know what what he needs is, is to, to Jesus Christ and Christianity. Uh, and so, man, the reaction to that was horrible. <laughs> uh, uh, one guy in St. Petersburg, from the St. Petersburg Times, said, better voices than mine have already deconstructed how such exhortations are serious examples of religious, what? Intolerance. Mm. And smack of the kind of spiritual superiority, fueling the terrorism that we are struggling to contain in other parts of the world. In other words, uh, what, what Brit Hume was saying was, so intolerant that it's, it's terroristic. Oh, wow. It could be associated with terrorism because he suggested that Tiger would seek Jesus. And everybody came and attacked this guy because he suggested mm. that maybe Tiger could find the truth in Jesus Christ. So where's the tolerance for Christians?
1: Exactly. That Tiger is... Woods
2: can say that Buddhism is where he finds truth, and that's not intolerant. But Christians say that Jesus is where you find truth, and that's intolerant.
1: First of all, um, I I do I vaguely remember that uh, the attack. I love Brit Hume, uh, of course, a, a believer and a, a Christian. I think he's still a contributor at Fox News, but uh, I just appreciated his clear level thinking, fair thinking, and responding critical thinking <laughs> when it comes to so many of these issues, these emotional issues or political issues. But just that is an excellent point, Juan, and we see that more and more where. You can name just about any religion, and in that case it was Buddhism. You could name Islam, you could name Hinduism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, and anything else. But if you mention Christianity and believe that this is the way to salvation, this is the way to true peace, you'll be attacked. That's not fair at all, but we have to recognize that this is where our culture is right now. So we're talking about this important subject. How do Christians respond to charges of intolerance when we know the truth, but we need to be able to explain it and defend it a little better. I'm so glad you brought up that analogy with Brit Hume. And of course, we're talking about different religions, and that's if all ideas... Uh, Are equal and have um, you know are worthy of respect? Then all religions must be the same. It's a natural progression of thought, but we need to be better prepared to defend it.
2: Absolutely. Let's. uh, How do we actually break this down? How do we tackle it? Uh, Different when you go to all the religions are equal uh, argument. That's that's very easy to dismantle. Very easy to dismantle because uh, the 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 idea that is proposed that all the religions are At their core, they're all the same. They're all looking for the same thing. And any difference is really a superficial difference. That's the way it's presented. But is that the truth? I mean, uh, Buddhism believes there is no God. Christianity believes there is a God. Uh, The Christian religions, the Judeo-Christian religions, preach about a heaven. Uh, The Eastern religions talk about non-existence and nirvana, ceasing to exist as being the ultimate goal. Uh, uh, Salvation by works, you know, salvation by grace. Uh, There's... Uh, the, the, there is a hell there is no hell there is a heaven there is no heaven it, there's the radical differences are so incredible at the core of all of these religions that it's ludicrous to say that they're all the same and what 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 turns out to be is that they may be superficially similar, but at the core every religion is different and very very different uh, 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 the new age people like to use a lot the oriental uh uh analogy of the elephant, you know, the blind men who come up to the elephant and one grabs the tail and says, an elephant is like a rope. Another one touches, they're blind, so they don't know. Another one touches the side of the elephant and says, no, the elephant is like a wall. <laughs> Someone grabs the elephant's leg and says, it's like a tree trunk. Someone grabs the, you know, every, every, the, the ears, and it's like a fan. But the truth is, I mean, see, that's why all religions very basically are the same. But no, you're missing the whole point. Every one of those blind people are wrong. It's not a tree, it's not a trunk, it's not an elephant, it's not a a wall, I'm sorry, or an elephant or a snake. It's an elephant. You see, you you miss the point. There is a truth, Mm -hmm. and the truth is unavoidable. We can't escape it. We perceive things differently, but at the end of the day, there is a God. He's the creator of our universe. He has established the rules, and he tells us how we can get to heaven. And no one gets there except through Christ. That's the truth that everyone has to struggle with. And and, and so it's pretty easy to, to demonstrate that all religions are not equal and that they're not all valid and that they're not all saying the same thing. But when you take the charge of intolerance, uh, there, there's a very specific way to tackle that charge and show whoever you're talking to in a very polite and, and loving way that what they are proposing is 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 untrue and not only is it untrue, it's unlivable. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't live with that with that sort of uh, philosophy in your life.
1: One, um, I'm sure you've had experiences where you got into a conversation with someone, and you were very calm, patient, loving, as you say. Uh, starting out, we need to be uh, sensitive to other people and speak with with tact, and that would basically mean speaking the truth in love. But yet they would not um drop their defenses and they would continue in attack mode really not hearing I know the holy spirit is involved in this and how we respond to people but um when do you find that it might just be better just to uh, you know back away and maybe have that conversation no- another day or as scripture kind of gives the idea of kind of wi- wiping our the bottom of our shoes wiping the dust off your sandals and moving on Uh, How do you discern when that might be, if someone is clearly emotional or not receiving anything we're trying to share in love?
2: I'm glad you brought that up. That's a a very good question. Uh, The first point is being sensitive to whether you're communicating with another person, whether you're getting across, whether they're in an emotional state that is capable of reasoning and, and logic and argumentation. And, and and if you notice someone just angry, 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 and not listening, and just it's not a good time to talk. It's probably better just to walk away and come back another time, another day. Uh, because uh, anger blinds people, and when someone is very angry, they're blinded. They can't see. They can't understand. They can't. Pro- All they think about is the anger, mm-hmm. and that's what fuels them. Now I, I'm very uh, cautious with the verses like throwing, you know, pearls to swine or. Or wiping the, feed, the dust off your feet. To me, <laughs> to me, those expressions means okay. I give up on you. Mm. You're done. And I, I, I don't. I find that I would never be able to give up on someone.
1: Mm.
2: I think I would. I would walk away and come back the next time, and walk away. And if that doesn't work, try it again. Uh, because God, God doesn't give up on us. How how long has God had to pursue some of us uh, to get us to 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 understand the truth? Uh, and so. Uh, Some people are too quick to wipe the sand off their sandals and give up on somebody. Mm -hmm. I think we're called to to persevere, uh, but we have to do it wisely. Uh, There is a time to talk and there's a time not to talk. Mm -hmm. However, if we are consistent in our love, in our kindness, in our uh, just not getting angry, not responding at the same level of anger, not insulting, but just controlling ourselves, keeping our cool, if we are consistent... That way, I think it comes to a point where somebody says, you know, I can talk to this person because this person uh, seems so peaceful and so tranquil, and they seem really genuinely interested in talking to me about this. And 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 I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that, I've experienced that in my own life, uh, of being able to penetrate very, very thick defenses by just persevering in kindness and in love and being available, being available to talk about these issues. Uh, even if the conversation is unpleasant. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes I'll preface that when I'm talking to somebody. I say, look, this conversation may be really unpleasant for you because you may find that a lot of what you think is not true and it's never a pleasant idea or it's never a pleasant realization when we realize that we've been duped or we've been had or uh, we've, 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 we've we've been really uh, you know just not very smart about the way we've handled things. And so... That makes us feel uncomfortable. But my point is not to make you feel uncomfortable. My point is to point the truth out to you. Mm -hmm. And that's not hateful or intolerant. The contrary. It's because I love you that I want to point out the truth to you. Sometimes an analogy goes a long way. Uh, I'll tell somebody, look, if you're driving up a a hill, the side of a hill, and I know that the bridge up ahead is out, what should I do? Should I let you drive however (laughs) you want because you're entitled to your ideas? Or should I try to stop you? And if I'm trying to stop you from keeping keep keep driving and going off that cliff. If you're going to call that intolerant, call it intolerant. Call it whatever you want. But what's motivating me is my desire for you not to go off that cliff and not to destroy your life. You know, when we have the truth, we have this responsibility to share it with people mm-hmm. because we know that the, the road they're on is going to take them off the cliff. And, and so, uh, again, we need to try to be effective because the point is to get them to stop driving down that road turn around and head the right direction. The Holy Spirit does that. Mm-hmm. But our job is to, is to stop the warning, the the confronting them with, look, this is not a good path you're on. And and, and so we need to pray that God would give us the wisdom and the words and the compassion yes. to be able to tackle this.
1: Yes, and also understand, when you say something like that, hey, this I'm concerned about your life or lifestyle or what you just said, this is not a good path you're on, that's... Well, indirectly saying, uh, you're wrong. <laughs> you're not a bad person, but you're wrong. Um, and people don't like to hear that at all. So we have to be re- ready for those angry responses of, of just simply, Juan, as much as we come with truth and love and grace and being sensitivity or being sensitive and tactful, s- there are some. That will never respond in a way that, that, that we would want them to because they're so angry that someone would disagree or in, imply that they're wrong. So, in those situations, we have to be even more. Um, that, boy, talk about the fruit, the need for the fruit of self control and patience and loving kindness, right?
2: Amen. And and, and I, I, I tell people when I train them on evangelism or engaging culture tactics, I tell them, look, you need to be realistic here. One conversation rarely takes somebody from point A to point C. Mm. You don't approach somebody who's struggling with an issue as deep as this, and in 20 minutes have them worshiping Jesus at the altar with you. It doesn't happen that way. This is a slow process. You put a, a, a you put a a stone in their shoe, uh, and, and, and make it uncomfortable for them to continue thinking this way. And the next opportunity you have, you put another one. Some other Christian will contribute into this process. Eventually, slowly, a person will come out from that perspective and embrace a new perspective. It's not an overnight thing. And we also have to bear in mind that Jesus, the best communicator on the planet, was not successful in persuading everybody. Some people simply refuse the truth, reject the truth, and choose outright to live the life that they're going to live, regardless of where it takes them. And so if Jesus wasn't able to persuade everybody, I shouldn't feel bad when somebody just will not be persuaded by me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not an excuse not to try, and I have to continue to try to be the best persuader I can, to let my light shine in such a way that men would glorify God because they see my good deeds, because they see the life that I'm living, and because they understand what I'm trying to communicate with them. Mm.
1: Excellent. A lot to think about. Thank you, um, Juan Valdez, Reasons for Hope. We've got a link in today's podcast post at StandUpForTheTruth.com for your book, How to Think, and then uh, a lot of good points on responding to charges of intolerance. Again, Juan, we appreciate your time with us. Uh, God bless you and your work, not only at your church there in Florida, but with Reasons for Hope. Thanks, brother.
2: Thank you for having me, brother. My pleasure.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the issue of life and, uh, of course, something we need to be ready to respond in in uh, those situations as well. When conversations come up in Jesus' name. We have to really be ready and be prepared. That's next on Stand Up For The Truth.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. With David Fiorazzo,
1: we just celebrated, uh, with lack of a better word, celebrated. But it was National Sanctity of Human Life Day uh, yesterday. Of course, back in 1984, I believe uh, President Ronald Reagan issued the proclamation designating uh, National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And of course, um, there's so many things that happen in January: um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the holiday, also. Um, the March for Life in Washington, D.C., where we touched on this last week when we talked with Rebecca Kiesling, how hundreds of thousands, she was a part of that, um, hundreds of thousands of Christians and Catholics and just people that are pro life travel to Washington, D.C. and they literally go out in the street and just march peacefully. March some, the, the liberal media will call it a protest. But we are, yeah, we're protesting Roe v. Wade. It's an unconstitutional and unjust law. I'll say that again. It's an unconstitutional and unjust law. Why? Because in 1973, one of the questions that was asked in that court case was do we really know when life begins? And as Christians, we know from the Word of God, life begins at conception. Everything for a human being's DNA is present. At the moment of conception and then that fetus starts growing and it is a human being if it's a if it's a human being at let's just say at uh, after three months in the womb after six months in the womb, if that's a human being and if it and if it's born 90 seconds after a baby is born if that baby is a human being then that baby was a human being in the womb while in the womb let's reason together here so 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed, and they, they have answers now to the question they asked, you know, uh, do we really know when life begins? Because they didn't have ultrasound uh, technologies that we have today, sonograms and all kinds of other things. You can hear the heartbeat. You can see the image of a living, breathing, growing, developing human baby in the womb. So much more we have today, and I always like to say dead things don't grow by the way, but yet we still have this law that affected all states, the whole country, Roe v. Wade. It was one case, one court case, but the Supreme Court decided and there were laws at that time that um, were completely wiped out because of one Supreme Court decision. Now, we know that um, the Supreme Court is not the legislative branch of our government. No, that's Congress. So we got the executive branch, we got the legislative branch, and we got the judicial branch, the Supreme Court. They are to judge certain cases. Well, they march for life in Washington, D.C. every year on this issue of Roe v. Wade saying, we, why aren't we fighting this law? Why aren't we raising more awareness? Why aren't we electing people, representatives, uh, Christian or not? Uh, preferably Christians, men of character and integrity, men and women of character and integrity, those who will stand for life. So let's briefly, let's go through some scriptures. What does the Bible say about this topic? Um, the very simple, there's a verse in Genesis 25, that talked about two twins in the womb. And it says, the babies jostled each other within her. Isn't that interesting? Genesis twenty five twenty two. 22. Uh, so we, we need to look at some of these and say, okay, the, what does the Bible consider life? When when did, does the Bible talk about life in the womb? Well, it's interesting that in this, that we're talking about Rebekah and uh, the verse 22, uh, where it says, actually, verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. One will be stronger than the other, the older will serve the younger. And of course he's talking about Jacob and Esau. And it's interesting that verse again, it's a t- verse 22, but this is this translation says, "But the children struggled together within her. So according to God, the Bible says, the children struggled together. This other translation said the babies jostled each other within her womb. I know. I know. You're going, wow, I never heard of that. How about this one? We all know this. We, we quote it just about every, not, I shouldn't say every Christmas, but uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting in Luke chapter one, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Uh, One translation would say uh, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, why? Because Mary was pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, some abortion supporters will go so far as to claim that early religions did not ban abortion. And that's contrary to the truth. God speaks very clearly on the value of the unborn in the Scriptures. And, and brothers and sisters, we need to know these Scriptures. We need to know these arguments. This is the truth. So, each life is of value in the eyes of God. He personally made each one of us. and God's Word says He has a plan for each one of our lives. Uh, One of my favorite verses... um, It's Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's work of art. It says, another translation, we are his masterpiece or his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things that God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, Jeremiah 1, verse 5. This says, before I formed you, God speaking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Psalm 139, verse 13 and verse 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 16. How about Job chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. Your hands shaped me and made me. Did you not clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life. Isaiah 44, verse 2. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, he who formed you in the womb. Isaiah 44, 2. God weaves us together. He, he created us in our mother's wombs. Science, modern science, will back up the fact that all of our DNA is present in the fetus at the moment of conception, our complete DNA. So in other words, the DNA of that baby in the womb of a pregnant mom is completely separate from the mother's DNA. So now you're talking about when that fetus continues to grow in the womb and that body is formed and shaped, guess what? That's we're talking about two separate bodies now. The body of the baby and the body of the mother. Separate DNA, separate even a separate heartbeat and a separate heart, physical heart. The mom has one heart, the baby has a different heart. The mom has her DNA, the baby has a different DNA. Go on down the list, but you know the popular slogan on the left, my body, my choice. What do you think God thinks of that? Well, we just read some scriptures, I hope, uh, you were taking notes of this obviously i'll put some of this in our blog post at standardforthetruth.com job 31:15 says did he not i'm sorry did not he who made me in the womb make them did not the same one form us both within our mothers job 31:15 and, of course, the very familiar verses most of us know, Genesis 1.27, because man is made in God's own image, it says. He created them male and female in his image. Each life is of great value to God. Psalm three children are a gift from God. He even calls our children his own. In the Ezekiel 16.20, Ezekiel you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them. You slaughtered my children, it says. In Ezekiel 16, uh, 20. So taking innocent life is murder. And we know it's one of the Ten Commandments Thou shalt not murder. Deuteronomy 30, 19. We're just sharing God's word on life. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that your children, so you and your children may live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Let's go back to the very first verse we shared from Genesis chapter 25, and it's talking about the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, and Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered Isaac, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Verse 22, once again, understand Rebecca's pregnant. Verse 22, but the children struggled together within her. And that other translation, the babies jostled each other within her. The verse after that, God clearly said, two nations are in your womb. So in other words, the two babies would represent two different nations when they were born and grew up. So again, making the argument for life, what does God, God's Word say about children in the womb, about babies, about abortion? Um, yes, the word abortion may not appear in Scripture, but we know we can clearly defend God's heart for life, and so we should defend the value of every human life. That's why most of us who are Christians stand up for the right to life. And as Rebecca Kiesling said last week, in her situation... Uh, her mother was raped. Rebecca was born. She says, don't punish me for the sins of my mother or father. In that case, it was her father's sins. Don't punish the baby for the sins of the mother or and or father. So I hope you uh, were encouraged by just some of these scriptures this morning. And, and of course, uh, you'll be able to look these up on your own. And I took time to um, just share as many as we could in the remaining time we had. But also uh, go back and share on uh, Facebook and our podcast with Juan uh, Valdez. I really believe he made some excellent points on responding to the charge of intolerance uh, when it comes to truth in our culture. So when we come back, we'll let you know who's our guest the rest of the week. Stand up for the truth, a ministry of
0: Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's stand up for the truth.
1: Always great to have uh, people from Reasons for Hope and uh, Carl Kirby, of course. We're <laughs> He's so busy. We're trying to get him back on as well. That, that, we'll do that eventually. But some great guests the rest of this week. Tomorrow, first-time guest, Mark Hancock. He is the founder of Trail Life USA. Talk about problems with boys in today's culture, boys being raised to be men. Well, the Boy Scouts have some issues, and that's why uh, Mark Hancock decided we've got to have an alternative and a Christian based alternative for the Boy Scouts. Uh, You you know, otherwise, you're letting in Girl Scouts, so you're no longer Boy Scouts or people pretending to be something else. So that's Mark Hancock tomorrow, uh, Jan Markell Wednesday, Mike Gendron, evangelist uh, on Thursday. Alex Newman from the Newman Report and Freedom Project and the Epoch Times on Education Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in. Share our podcast, please, on social media. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.